What's going on, guys? Welcome to another episode of Eastern Current. If I start coughing tonight, I apologize. I got a couple cough drops laid out here beside me, already unwrapped, so you don't have to hear it in this uh, annoying mic here. Um, but we've got a guest on that we, me and him, have been battling and battling. Which I'll forget. Like we were supposed to do it yesterday, and I just completely forgot I was supposed to do it. And we've set up other times, and stuff comes up, and we finally, we even tried to record it one time, and my whole software crashed. <laughs> And we lost it. We were almost done with it, too. Um, but we, we're going to um, have on Dan from Low Country Fishing. I'll introduce him to you all here in just a second. Uh, he's down in South Carolina. But we're going to have an awesome podcast for you all tonight. Before we get going, I want to let you all know about my buddy's podcast. It's 910 Outdoors. If you're into the, I get so many questions about hunting and are you going to do a hunting podcast and more hunting content and whatnot, definitely go check out 910 Outdoors um, on YouTube as well as their podcast. It is a very, very high-quality podcast well-produced podcast with an insanely good content and just a good crew of dudes that, that put out a good waterfowl based uh, and bird hunting based podcast that I love to listen to. So that's 910 Outdoors. I also want to thank iStrike. It's a, they're a big supporter, big sponsor of this podcast and Marshware. Um, and that is enough of my pre-show rambling. I'm going to go over here and bring on our good friend, Dan. What's up, man? What's up, man? Oh man. I'm just, I'm, I'm happy we're both on here. We're recording. I'm also happy. I, I'm not going to, you know, count my chickens before they hatch. Let's hope this software yeah. holds up for us. Everything's been stacked against us to keep us from recording this podcast. It's going to be good. It's going to be good. Um, well, how you been? You been fishing a bunch? Yeah, yeah, man. I've been fishing all over the place, doing a lot, really stretching my legs now. I uh, So I sold the, well, sold. I still have the Mako Pro Skiff. Um, but I just uh, upgraded and bought a 22-foot bay boat. I got a Sea Hunt BX. Nice. It's got a 13-inch draft. It's like eight and a half foot wide, so I can still do a little bit of the uh, shallow water fishing that I've been uh, doing normally when I started off with uh, all my fishing around here. But now, man, that thing allows me to really stretch legs and do a lot more stuff. I can fish offshore. I can fish near shore. I can take that boat anywhere. And man, I've just been uh, been pumped. I've been cranking a lot of good different uh, content out lately on the channel. Heck yeah, that's awesome. What would you say that boat, like having that bigger boat, what fishing has it allowed you to do that you haven't been able to do before that you're most excited about? Um, honestly, man, when I when I take the sea hunt out, I almost turn into an old man and just kind of <laughs> sit there and soak some bait behind the back of the boat and <laughs> sit underneath that T-top. <laughs> Heck yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. I've, I've gained like a new appreciation and love for bait fishing over the past like year and a half like it used to be like all sight fishing all fly and i still love that that's my passion but like bait fishing well and like understanding where your bait needs to be and when and how it needs to be set up and um it's fun like there's such a science to it people think it's easy i remember when i started out as a fly fishing guide and a light tackle guide and i wasn't running anything but like you know artificial trips and then i booked my first bait fishing trip and i was like ah oh, you know if i can catch them on top water and fly i can definitely catch them on bait i got my freaking butt kicked like i could not get bit on bait i think we had two fish uh two small fish on, on the, my first bait fishing trip that i can remember and it was yeah. tough it was tough it, it, there's a whole different style of an approach to you know how, how you got to do it but it, it's a lot of fun so um yeah. don't even get me started we could talk about bait fishing all night but uh how long have you had that boat uh, I just got it about three months ago. Cool. It looked like you had, yeah. you sent me that picture, you had it all ripped apart in your driveway. It is, yeah. So I've been, uh, the you wouldn't notice it on the channel, but the boat's been down for about two weeks now. I've, I got to the point where my, that old Simrad that was in it from 2013 uh, just kind of crapped out on me. So I thought, well, let's put a new uh, Simrad in it. Well, while I'm at it, let's do this. Let's do this. Right. Let's put new acrylics in. So now she's getting an entire new facelift. 
full electronics package, uh, which is awesome. I can't thank my subscribers enough, my patrons enough. They're they're the ones that actually allow me to do these types of things monetarily. Yeah. But uh, she's getting a facelift, and uh, she's going to be ready, man. By the time uh, probably another two weeks, everything will be in, and uh, we'll be out rocking and rolling on, with that boat on the channel. Nice. Have you, have you still been getting out on your on your smaller boat as well, or are you yeah, kind of a good mixture yeah, of the actually, two? It's funny, man. Actually, the the pro skip's been put in the garage now for the past two weeks. I've had it up for sale, not really getting any crazy bites. And then uh, Rich from Fishaholic YouTube, actually, uh, we've been kind of communicating back and forth. He said, hey, man, I'm passing through. Let's get out here and let's go fish. I'm like, crap, I don't have a boat. And wait a minute, I got the Mako. So I had to pull the Mako out, you know, get it ready, get everything back on board. I think I still even went out that day without a fire extinguisher. Don't tell anybody. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's one of those things you get out on the water like, oh, crap, I forgot this. But yeah, we actually went out and fished and had a had, had a good day on the water, called an absolute absolute pile of fish. But uh, it was just nice being back out on the small boat again. You know, it's just For it makes sure. me makes me think like, well, maybe in the spring I'll look at, you know, like a sixteen foot, you know, small tiller handle, puddle jumper just to shoot around and hit some grass flats and back creeks. Man, that way I it, keep checking the boxes. It's really nice to have the option of both. I mean, I know everyone can't have the option of both, but yeah. Um, there's there's not one boat that like that that fits everything really. If you want to fish, it could fit everything that you want. You know, I'm not saying you in general, but like one boat could fit every one person's single needs. But like if you're wanting to inshore fish, near shore fish, maybe do a little offshore, you know, bait or get back in the very back shallow creeks or fish a flood tide. Like there's so many different applications that usually not one boat's gonna allow you to do. You know, bay boat does the best job of like kind of bridging the gap between everything, but um, th there's so much stuff I do on my skiff and so many, especially this time of year right now, like the redfish that I'm catching, I could not catch them on my bay boat. They're, they're, they're so far back in little creeks and shallow, not to say there's not redfish to be caught, not that way, but, but my little boat allows me to access like a really cool red fishery that like, yeah. is it kind of off the beaten path that I can't do on my bay boat. So yeah. it's, yeah. I mean, it's a, you know, a rich man's game i guess if you want to have more not rich man but like if you're gonna have multiple boats you're gonna pay for it <laughs> that's the problem yeah well there's so. a workaround to that you just gotta have a bunch of friends that have small boats exactly too. exactly i'll have the big <laughs> boat you have a little doing. boat yeah exactly yeah i'm just trying to encourage you to keep your little boat too so <laughs> i know man. i felt my wife about it <laughs> yeah it, no it's that's the thing i told her when, I, when we bought this new boat uh i just made a promise to her i said i, I, I promised we won't have two boats in the driveway and she's like okay sell it because in my mind i'm like well that boat's got everything on it, side scan, power pole, 80-pound spot lock. It's got everything. Yeah. And I'm thinking, I don't need all that stuff. So I'll sell it, and next one will be just, yeah, just bare bones. stripped down, bare bones, like maybe like a shadow cast or something like that. For sure. You know, For sure. nothing crazy. Um, I've been talking with the guys that build my, my duck boat. Um, they're called – it's Duckwater. It's up in Ohio. And they're just like – down to build anything and and i was like man if we could build an aluminum there, there's some other people building aluminum polling skiffs but he's like dude you help you come up here and help us lay it out we'll, we'll knock one out so i might try this late winter to go up there and build lay out and if you're interested we could talk about it together but okay. lay out an aluminum very light that's the problem i don't want to build a little like i want to i want an aluminum polling skiff without a polling platform just like a little one foot riser like casting platform on the back pretty much to pull from um, but it's got to be like under 150 pounds that's the problem that's the kicker if we can do it under 150 pounds it's worth it but to me the whole 
nice part about that is to be able to just drag it anywhere I want to get. Like if it's too shallow, it doesn't matter. I'm going to drag across the sandbar. You get over 150 pounds and then a 25 horse on that, like it gets too heavy. But yeah, um, I'll keep you in the loop. He, he, we were actually texting yeah, about it today. Awesome, but that would be like you never have to worry about it. You're fishing that shallow. You'd be like a fishing oysters. ninja with that boat. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, but yeah, so tell me a little bit about what's been going on in there fishing-wise this, this time of year. Probably similar yeah. to what we're seeing, but, but different a little bit. Yeah, so – um, man, in, in my mind, fall fishing is like when the temperatures kind of hit that 70 degree range, we're getting that cool down. The trout bite is starting to pick up. The fish haven't quite yet started heavy schooling, but dude, we went from 70 to 75 degree water temps, bang down to 55 real fast. We had a, a, a big uh, storm come through with the cold front east wind pushing in. We had a coastal flood advisory at like 11 or 11 and a half feet here around the, uh, the, the, the Savannah Hilton head area there for like two or three days yeah. it just destroyed a lot of fishing because it brought so much water in then it dropped the temperatures and man then the, now the fish are on the move they're they're all kind of transitioning right now everything is schooling up but the trout are heading for the back the, some of the redfish are heading for the back as well and now it's just uh you know some days it's a grind when the water temperatures are swinging so much because the fish what i'm experiencing is some of these fish are kind of shutting down so you you've got to fish deeper in some of these areas where you would normally catch them you may bump into them, you may not, but it's that that cold front that came through kind of really put us into motion. And it, I, I remember it did it last year too. Same thing. Yeah, I was excited to have that nice little cool weather break, and then straight to winter pattern. Oh, for sure, for sure. It's it, man, it, it's so it's a fun time of year to fish the the spring and fall transitionary times because you have some insanely epic days, but you also have some days that you're like scratching your head trying to figure out where these fish are, what they're doing, because they move so much. Like so many of our redfish right now are still in the ocean. Like they push out in the ocean with that, that mullet run and they kind of sit out off the beaches and sit on some near shore structure. And then they don't flow back in. It, you know, sometimes they all flow back in pretty quickly, but they haven't this year. There's been a lot of fish that haven't showed back up in the marsh yet, which is a little scary because sometimes they'll sit in the ocean all, all, all winter. <laughs> And yeah. there, there's very few days, a lot, lot less days you can sit out there and fish for them, and you can't fish for them the way I like to in the winter. Um, but do y'all see many of your fit? Do y'all see the kind of the slot and over, slightly overslot drum go out in the ocean down there as well in the fall for a little bit? I do, yeah. So I tag, so I tag redfish for Georgia. Sweet. And uh, yeah, so some of the patterns that I'm seeing is these redfish once they hit about 32 to 34 inches, they're pulling out of the the back creeks where I catch them. If I'm catching them in creeks, they're, they're uh, being recaptured again on the beaches. Uh, and then they're being recaptured again in the winter, about four or five miles offshore on some of those nearby wrecks and reefs. So once they hit a certain size, they're leaving. And I don't know if they're just, uh, once the mullet kind of start pulling out of these creeks, they don't have a good enough food source. They get a little nervous. So they push offshore where there's bigger food, Yeah. you know, and start doing their spawning cycle coming in and out that way, as opposed to spawning in the back creeks. Um, but that's, that's just kind of how I notice and pattern my big redfish. Yeah. Now I have, I have residents that stay in Creek systems and they stay around, um, you know, the, uh, the sounds and around a lot of these oyster flats and mud flats and they, they stay there kind of all throughout the season. But yeah, yeah. I, I would say pretty similar here. And it's funny too, cause we have like where I am in, in North Carolina, we've got like a, just a strictly salt marsh right in my backyard. Then south of me, I've got like a coastal river that's very tidal, that has a lot of movement that's that's brackish and salty and brackish and salty. And then north of me, I've got a coastal river that, that is not tidal at all. 
and to see how the patterns, you know, the, the fish that are north of me and the fish that are where I am and the fish that are south of me are all doing three different things right now. Wow. And and not completely, but but pretty, I mean, actually, yeah, completely different things. And so, like, yeah. the very, you know, down in the lower river, the, the Cape Fear River, fish are in small, tiny little creeks feeding on shrimp. Where I am, fish are still sitting out in the ocean, a lot of them. They're still fishing the creeks and on docks and stuff like that, but a lot of them are out in the ocean. And then north of me, there's fish in these, you know, these big open flats, these big, like, two-foot flats all over the place. And so, just totally different <laughs> based off of the type of estuary they're in, which makes sense. But you think it would be a little more in, in uh, you know, in unison. But I guess it, it really just depends on where the bait is and where they can productively feed and be comfortable. So Yeah. Yeah, that's it. I mean, here's an example of bait. So I was going out two weeks ago to, uh, to try to net some bait, uh, some mullet for the last little bull red fishing trip. And I was just throwing my net on top of the bait. And I wound up catching with a net two keeper reds and two keeper, well, one keeper black drum and one small black drum within two casts. Oh my God. Just throwing on the bait. So if that's not enough to show you guys that the fish, that the fish are with the bait, yeah. that's, that's proof. Of no, proof that's right crazy. There. That's crazy. I've only ever caught, I think, one. I've caught a couple small speckled trout in the net before, but only ever yeah. one keeper redfish. Um, and on that throw too, I also, I was with clients through the net, slipped, fell off the boat, got back on the boat, pulled the net tight and I had a redfish in it and a couple minutes, <laughs> which is pretty crazy. Um, only time I've ever, I've fallen off a boat twice throwing a net once, only, yeah. only ever once with clients. So, um, oh, the other I, was with my I wife and my mom. All the time. <laughs> Um, it, it's it's fun when you fall off the boat and you got all your camera gear and GoPros because I use microphones with mine so everything's all open exposed so as soon as I hit the water it's like yeah well, there's four more <laughs> there's some, that was an expensive fall yeah that, yeah. that would uh, it's probably a good thing that Mike, Mike goes out after you fall in with it because it would catch some choice words probably um, well cool so what if you've got a day off right now and you're going to go fish what is what excites you in the fall to kind of go target um, so with with it with the way it is right now man I, i'm a redfish guy yeah i absolutely love the redfish um what i'm going to do is is with the way the cold weather is and whatnot i try to find a warming trend so i'll look at the weather try to figure out what the wind projections are going to be figure out when the last cold front was and if i can line up a pattern uh to go fish like the third or the fourth day after a cold front mm-hmm. and i can have some nice sunny skies i'm going to head to the back of a creek yeah. and at, at this point any of my buddies boats that i can get my hands on and we're going to go back there and we're going to side cast redfish because these fish are going to be up kind of real shallow on the mud flats at the high tide. Yep. And you're going to, you're going to be able to find them. You're going to be able to see them pushing around and whatnot. That's um, awesome. They're not, it's not, the water's not too cold where they just kind of get up on the mud flat and stay still. They're, they're at the point where they're still kind of actively moving around. Yeah. Wake in, pushing some um, bait a little bit. They are. Yep. So, because we do still have some good bait in the rivers, we just still have some good shrimp in there. And some of our mullet are still kind of hanging around back there. Yeah. So, I've noticed yeah. a lot of lost mullet this year here too. Like we still have, I'll just roll into an area and there's like quite a few mullets still around. It's pretty. Yeah, odd. we got pilchards all in our river right now too. Like little guys, like wow. three inches. I didn't know y'all got inches. pilchards down there. I guess is is are y'all kind of the northern range? No, of, sorry, Manhattan. Manhattan. Okay. I'm, saying that. Gotcha, I'm, a, I'm a Florida guy. Yeah, Manhattan. That, I I, yeah. I I didn't know. I, I wonder if y'all do. Or I guess Florida. Or do they get pilchards pretty far up Florida, or is it more of a southern Florida kind of thing? Yeah. Um, we used to, we used to get our pilchards like over in Tampa, just gotcha. Tampa okay. a lot growing up. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, it's, it's funny to see, you know, we, we just had some weird weather. We've had 35 degrees already here and we've had like today it was 78 degrees outside. So that, that in itself as well kind of 
pushes the fish all over the freaking place. Like they don't know it what does. to do. So, um, yeah. So do you, you, you said you're a redfish guy. Do you spend much time trout fishing in the fall or, or not too much? I do. Yeah. So I'll, I'll still hit my, uh, my trout, my, my trout areas where I know that I've catched them and patterned them before in the past. I get into these areas and, you know, I get on them. That's, that's great. If I don't, it's, you know, it's not a big deal. I'll right. just kind of scratch it and go to my redfish spots. I but like I do like trout fishing in the winter, though. Winter, if you can get into these areas and find them, I've got them locked in and patterned on the on the type of areas they're in. And man, if you can get back in here in the winter time, which is we are pretty close to getting there with our water temps right now, you you start finding these these uh, trout schooled up these back creeks and deep waters around docks, anywhere where you have like any outflow tidal tidal movement coming out of uh, the marsh areas and stuff like that. And dude, that's that's lights out good sometimes yeah you, you almost have to restrain yourself because you're just one after another after another yeah it's crazy to think how many can be sitting on there sometimes at that fall and early winter trout light when you're just throwing a bait yeah. and what do you like to uh as far as your fall redfish bait what, what do you like to throw usually uh three and four inch uh well four inch diesel minnows mainly gotcha. uh, i'll throw the i'll throw the little uh three inch uh minnows mm-hmm with an open jig head, but I like, I love that ice track Texas side. Yeah. I love that four inch diesel minnow and dude, that is, that's like my utility bait. For sure. You I'll can do always, so much. I'll with always it. have one of those. You can. Yeah. You just vary the weight of your jig heads and you can cover just about any water column you want and any style of fishing you want to figure out where they're at. For sure. And the beauty of those four inch diesel minnows, you can cut them down too. Yeah. Take a four oh, yeah. inch and knock the head off. Now you're down to a three inch. Mm-hmm. And the way that body works with that cavity opening on on the uh, belly, it allows it to kind of ride over that hook more. Yep. So you get a better hook set. You chop it down to a three inch. Now, if you got picky fish that don't want to chase big baits, you can just still throw a small bait, and you're using that same bait. Have you did you play around with the, uh, Have you played around with the finesse eye, the eye strike finesse eye, all the smaller Texas eye? I do, and what I need to do to really be better successful with that is. Uh, get a lighter rod lighter oh, action yeah. <laughs> rod because i fish i fish with like pretty much like a, a stiffer medium rod mm-hmm. and when i when i set that hook man i'm i'm gunning it because i'm used to hooking into good size redfish i remember the day i went out and fished with uh, the finesse eye. i got through talking to david about it and uh man i set the hook and whoop, i straightened that hook right out it was a big <laughs> fish too yeah it, you gotta have that you almost have to fish a rod that you'd fish you know light travels on too it's uh, yeah. but the winter time, crystal, we get crystal clear water in the winter, and the finesse eye with a slim swim. The Z Man is like a small little Ned rig uh, paddle tail almost. Uh, it gets it done. Like those picky picky fish. Yeah. I mean, it's a tiny little bait, but they like it. And yeah, so that was my go-to last year. That space guppy color. Swim, yeah, uh, slim swim. Mm-hmm. And that thing with um, with a little a little finesse eye was good. But I was I was big on those Z Man Pro bullets too. Yeah. Great. Like those the, two, the two watt pro bullets. Yeah. Because you can throw those things up and around these, uh, the down timber and these logs, and it'll really kind of ride up and over the logs without getting snagged. Heck yeah. So you're offering up a nice small little meal, cover it in pro, in pro cure, and then just stick it down there in their face. Heck yeah. And you'll, you'll dig them out of that tree. I, uh, one of my issues with that slim swim is I ha- I don't trust it enough to, to not sight fish with it. Like I know it works. But I want to know that the fish are like there. I mean, you, that that's the problem with the bait of that profile. But I mean, the bass guys, I I, I guess no one really searches with that bait. You, I mean, you might search a small zone, but you have to know those fish are in the neighborhood. 
before you go throw something that's like the size of a, a I don't know, a very, very, very tiny, skinny carrot. <laughs> yeah. But it's uh it's a great it's a such a great bait and the fish eat it well and, and it does i mean the little tiny rod tip move and that bait moves so much i'm I, i'm yeah i like fishing that stuff i'm not ready to be fishing that slow and painfully yet like i'm glad we're still in this kind of cool weather fall bite where we can get away with yeah you know what we're doing do you fish many hard baits at all for redfish this time of year besides topwaters i do baits or mailers? i bought so well top really just i'll throw two things i'll throw a topwater as my search bait yeah and then I'll throw that diesel minnow. And I'm, I've been tying on five-inch diesel minnows lately, too, because the bite's been so good. So I get in these areas, and I'm really just hitting small trout, small trout, small reds. I'll tie on that five-inch, and that'll help me kind of weed through the little ones a little bit better. Yeah. It's, sometimes it doesn't work. Sometimes these trout are just eating everything. Yeah. But it, with hard baits, man, a topwater, just a super spook <coughs> junior, any color, color don't matter to me. They're, these fish are pretty much so shallow anyway. They're hitting off of a reaction. Yeah. So I'll throw that as my search bait. If I get in there and pop it around a couple of times, I get a couple of bites. Nothing's really committing very well. I'll holster that rod. I'll pull out the diesel man and I go to town, man. Yeah, that's awesome. And I'm just using it as a search bait. That's it. That's... And people, you know, get crazy about, oh, you can't throw a topwater in the middle of the day. I'm like, guys, I got videos. I've been catching big reds and big trout on topwater at high noon yeah. on a clear day. Especially so this time of year when the water cools off a little bit and they'll eat on top for sure. Yeah. Especially when they're moving up shallow into these muddy areas, trying to grab a little bit of warmth, they're already up there shallow. Throw something up there with them too. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah. It's uh, it's always surprising, you know, the when when you you know you're fishing and this time of year, and you don't think a lot of times I'm with clients and stuff. I'm not thinking topwater, and I'll pick it up. I'm like, how long these fish eat? And you start throwing a topwater over them, and they start eating it great in the middle of the day. And you're like, well, maybe they just wanted something a little that could be a little more aggressive one. So yeah. See me, I don't I don't have clients, I'm not a charter guide, but when I go into an area, I'll throw that top water almost first thing. Yeah. Pull up, that's the first thing I'm grabbing. Throw that thing around and then go from and, there. And I honestly I think it should be more it depends on the scenario, but if I'm searching, like it's all it's always good to have someone throw the top water. I think I might mess up sometimes by not having at least one guy throwing a top water for a little bit because it is such a great search bait and even if you don't, you know, hook a fish on it, a lot of times they'll show themselves. Um, yeah. And I know that, and then I'll get in there and I'll be like, "All right, everybody throw spinner baits." You know, we'll go down a bank with spinner baits <laughs> or something like that. But um, yeah. have you fished the uh, the new? Uh, I guess it's the Z Man Eye Strike kind of mashup. The spinner bait they're making. Yeah, I've used it. It's good bait. It's it's solid. It's real. I mean, I've I've caught some really solid fish on it and have not had them, you know, mess the metal up or anything like that. It's been a really good good spinner bait yeah. for redfish. A lot of the like the redfish magics. If you hook a a better fish on those a lot of times they'll tweak your spinnerbait wire up pretty bad it's kind of hard to get it to ride good again but that i have not seen that problem with the eye strike one no not at all i like the little underspins too yeah take a little underspin and just punch it under a belly of a four inch bait yep and then just throw it out there and crank it this man just cast it out bring it back we were talking about that the eye strike texas eye and the the diesel window that's probably one of my like if i'm fishing by myself in the summer sight fishing that's all I'm throwing. I'm throwing a, and I'll throw some creature bait sometimes too. But the reason I really like that diesel minnow eye strike, uh, and, and the fall sight fishing as well, is because you can sit there and pitch that thing up shallow right in front of a redfish and sight fish with it. But it's equally as productive of a search bait, throwing it out off the bank in front of me when I'm not seeing anything, and kind of slow rolling it while I'm going on the bank looking, 
um, you know, fishing that deeper water. And the way that head wobbles with that diesel minnow tail, it just it looks so good. Draws fish in from oh, yeah. ways off. Um, well, cool. Well, let's talk a little bit about there's a campaign that you and I are both pretty involved in um, called Release Over 20. And it's, uh, yeah. you know, Dave, Dave got going and he connected with CCA up here in North Carolina and they got that thing moving two years ago, I think it was now, probably two years ago. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's been really cool to see it grow and to see it kind of catch on. And, and I feel there's, I wanted to catch on so much more. Um, what, what, if you had to wrap it up for somebody, explain the importance of release over 20, but, but you can even go broader with just like this mindset of releasing fish. I know you, you probably deal with a lot in Georgia. I think Georgia's even worse than North Carolina. Like y'all got some high limits and just laying red fish and trout out on the table. And it's all about like, you know, we didn't have a good day unless I can post a picture of a hundred dead fish on the table. So I'll let you kind of go to town with it. Yeah, we got it. We got a lot of a lot of uh, cooler fillers. They call them here, and it's it's honestly it's because of back in the day there used to not be any limits around here. Yeah. I talked to some of the the older generation that still fishes these days. You know, with those big old wooden corks, and they're like, "Oh, we used to not have limits." Yeah. Well, look at Florida. Yeah. <laughs> you know, look at these look at these states now that are struggling. You know, look at our striper population. We'll talk about striper in another video, but it got so bad that they had to limit it down to one fish. Yeah. Because they almost completely wiped it out because people can't. They, they can't put limits on themselves because the law says it's okay. Right. And that's honestly what the Release Over 20 campaign is all about. It's a conservation movement started by David Flad, the co-founder of iStrike, in an effort to get people's minds wrapped around the fact that you don't have to keep big fish. You don't have to keep every fish, right? Science has proven that big female trout over 20 inches, flounder over 20 inches, sheephead over 20 inches – uh, have been scientifically proven to lay two million or so eggs in an annual spawning period. And if you really think about how many fish two million is that one single fish over 20 inches can lay, why would you not put that back? Right. Why would you not want that fish to be able to do her thing and to you know spawn out and, and, and continue to create an ecosystem? So that's kind of where David started this thing. He's a very con- um, um, conscious-minded person when it comes to uh, – limits and and trying to regulate himself and you know we're not trying to say don't keep fish by all means i love trout i love to get out there and keep fish but i put regulations i put limits on myself too and you know the law says you can do it have a little restraint let's put some fish back keep some fish for our future generation or just for you later for sure if we go in there and like you as a guide in georgia you you come up here and guide you keep 15 fish i keep 15 fish another client on the boat (coughs) fish that's 45 fish that we are pulling out of a river. Hit that river for three or four days, hammering it hard just like that. Look what you just did. You just dented that whole ecosystem. You can almost completely wipe out an area by keeping too many fish. Oh, for sure. So for sure. Put the big ones back, have a little reserve, and you know, that's really what it's all about. It's you know, it's tough. And I feel like I don't know. I mean, people were keeping piles of fish before social media, but I really feel like now it's become this tough thing of like especially within guides and fishing communities where people you people want to see like oh I, this guy <laughs> especially guides like and I, i've struggled with it too it's like all right if we're keeping trout like i'm posting a picture of our limit of trout like i want people to know that we call it a limit of trout and part of it and i i'm not too you know i, I can admit this about myself but like part of it a lot of times is the fact of like you know i, I say i want you know 
it's for clients. I want clients to see it and see that we, we caught a limit of fish and caught nice fish, blah, blah, blah. But a lot of times it really is like on my own ego of like, I want everyone that follows me on Instagram to know that I know how to catch a limited trout, you know, and it's tough. And I know that a lot of other guides want to put that up there every day. And especially this time of year, yeah. you just see so many trout getting killed and we only can keep four person up here, but that's still too many. You know, if you, if you go with five oh, wow. people and keep four trout per person, yeah, we're at fifteen at, in Georgia. At fifteen, which is crazy. That, I mean, that's absolutely insane. Um, yeah. So I got a Facebook group too. It's called Low Country Fishing, and one of the rules for my group, if you want to be a part of the group and join and whatnot, is when you post pictures of your fish, you have to include some kind of detail. So we're all trying to be helpful, trying to figure out what's working, what's not, what's the trends. But you can't post pictures of just decks full of fish, dead fish laid out for the cutting board, you yeah. know. And you know that upsets some people, but we got conservation-minded people that are part of the group too, and we're just trying to keep it all a happy, friendly place. You know, we don't want to keep this mindset, right? Because that's what you and I really are. We're social media influencers, right? So we're influencing people to want to do the right thing. So I feel like if I don't do my part, even on my little Facebook group, to try to regulate people and not let this kind of thing happen, uh, then I'm not doing it right either. So that's honestly, that's one of the rules that we have. Right. And guys get upset. They post pictures, they go out, they have a great day. I decline it. I reach out to them. It's like, hey, you know, glad you had a great day, but just remember, this is this isn't what we do on this page. There's other pages that allow people to do that. You're welcome to go do it there, but we do a little different here. Yeah, for sure. Some no, guys I like say, cool, man, I get it, and some guys are like, oh, well, you know, they get upset. Definitely, but definitely. It is what it is. You know, we have to get people in their mindset that you don't have to keep them all, especially when you start to really, you know, hone your craft like you and I do. We can go out there and we can catch fish all day long. Is what we do. Once you get to that point where you're getting consistent, you really need to start showing some restraint. You know, definitely. The guy, the weekend angler that goes out and struggles, and all of a sudden he has a great day, and he's like, "Man, I'm keeping everything." You know, right? He's not Maybe. hurting much. He's not. But he's if not, you're keeping, he's not hurt much. If you're keeping 15 trout, even 15 trout every day for two weeks straight. I mean, you're putting a dent in the population of fish. And the way I look at it is, if like keep fish, if you want to keep fish. Keep them and eat them, but don't keep more than you can eat without freezing it. That's how I look at it. Yeah. And none, you know, most of the inshore fish don't freeze well either. You know, you put them in the freezer and, and you take them out. They're not, they're not, I mean, if you vacuum seal them and take care of them properly, but 90% of the people that are, you know, keeping fish probably aren't vacuum sealing them and wrapping them in paper and all that and getting all the all the air out and really prolonging the life of that meat as it's frozen. Um, yeah. But, you know, it, it's tough as a guide where I try to preach – about conservation of my clients and it's been a good year for it. Like I've had a lot of people that, um, you know, that it, it's still, it's like bass fishing to me. Like I still like to put a limit of trout in the live well and like look at them and like, I'll take the little one out and put a bigger one in there. I've got a really good live well that like keeps them alive well. And I think that's kind of fun. I like doing that and then just let them all go with you, you know? Yeah. And, and I've had a lot of people that have been into that this year. So it's been cool to do that. But you know, when people pay for a trip and they want to keep a limit of trout, I'm, you know, I'm like, hey, you know, let's, my thing is I don't let them kill fish over 20 inches. I'm like, hey, we can keep fish. We cannot keep trout over 20 inches. Um, yeah, that's awesome. And, and, and we haven't been, I mean, I've, I've killed trout over 20 inches in the past for sure, but that was before I knew yeah. how important it was to let them go. Um, yeah. And we release all fish over 20 inches, but some days I still have to kill the four-man limit of trout when people want to keep them. Um, yeah, but I usually ask them. I'm like, why do you want to keep? Why do you want to keep 20 trout? You know, and they're they're trying to explain to me. You know, if they've like got a bunch of 
family in town and they're going to go fish fry. I'm like, awesome. Yeah, keep the trout. Go have a fish fry. That's awesome. But if they're, yeah. they're going to go eat two that night and then freeze everything else, I'm like, let's let some more go. <laughs> At least that's what I try to push for. So, Gotcha. But, cool. Yeah. Um, so what is kind of uh, – I know Dave's kind of taking – trying to take release over 20 a little bit further. Is there anything that you can kind of share about yeah. that? Yeah, so there's some stuff going on behind the scenes right now. So uh, re- the release over 20 was basically something put together on a shoestring budget, and it's ru- it's running out of money. So what we're doing uh, this weekend and the weeks going forward up to February the 9th is uh, a lot of social media influencers like myself, you, TikTok guys, Instagram gals, etc. Um, we're trying to really kind of push the movement to really get the word out, and you know through that we can start getting into people's minds about the importance of release over 20, but also maybe get the attention of some people that are wanting to donate into the contribution mm-hmm. or into the campaign, you know, through contributions and whatnot. Uh, that way we can keep it funding, keep the billboards, keep the promotion, keep everything going just to kind of keep it alive, alive, uh, you know, an alive thing. For sure. So what we're doing this weekend, which is really cool, uh, Joel with Redfin Charters up in Charleston, uh, has donated I think four or five of his charter boats and some of his finest captains and uh, they're basically taking those boats with a bunch of social media influencers they're throwing scatter, kind of scattering us around on those boats and we're going out and fishing kind of a mini tournament uh, and that's just kind of all in fun but while we're out there filming the, I think the the Charleston newspaper is going to be out there I think maybe some local news agencies as well just kind of talking about reporting on the good things that are going on with that release over 20 program uh, and again, man, it's all just an effort to get the word out and to keep this thing going. Definitely, so, definitely. That's you know, so we cool. can if we can get these young angler anglers and the young generation to be like, you know, you catch fish, let them go. You know, then I think we've we've really won. It's going to be really hard to work on some of the older generation, the guys that have just been keeping fish forever. Because you know how it is. The older you get, the more set in your ways you get. You don't want to really change too much. But if we can start really influencing that younger generation coming up, definitely, that's that's going to be really where it's at so we kind of got that going on this weekend and honestly man i'm just i'm excited to go up there and 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 fish with all these dudes and get together with all these guys like myself that are like-minded definitely it's gonna be a blast i hate i'm gonna miss it Uh, yeah but i'm excited to see see some videos pop up on youtube that i can watch it'll feel like i'm there that's the beautiful thing about all y'all going and doing it is i can just go watch it (laughs) (laughs) i can go see exactly what, what i missed out on um, yeah, man. Well, cool. Well, what are you what are you kind of looking forward to this time of year, um, moving into the winter fishing wise? Fishing wise, really is uh, you know we kind of touched on it earlier. It's just the it's the schooling redfish. So last year, about a month ago, oh, about a month into the future. Wait, how do I say this? About eleven. <laughs> a, le- a month 11, from now, a year ago. <laughs> yeah, a month. Yeah, a month from now, last season. Uh, was when I started really getting on big schooling. Right, it's like how do you say that? Yeah, it was trippy. <laughs> it's like we uh, we got on some uh, really really big schools of redfish up in the Hilton Head Island area. These fish are you know they were basically jamming together in schools of two and three hundred, and they were all from like twenty five to thirty two, thirty three inch size. That's awesome. So I'm I'm excited to start getting on big schooling redfish like that again. Where you just kind of pull into these areas real quiet, where it's shallow, and look around, and you just see a giant, you know, a giant wake coming down. <laughs> You're like, "That's not mullet." That's not mullet. <laughs> That's so, awesome. I mean, that that is redfish, man. Redfish really gets uh, gets me excited. But you know, honestly, the striper bite lately for me has been red hot. It's something uh, that's been fairly new to me. It's the first time I've actually targeted striper. Yeah. 
this past couple trips and man i am i am hooked and the beauty of it is is it gives me options so if i'm not trying to fish out in areas where the wind's going to batter me and beat me to death i can head up into some of these slightly fresh brackish water areas where i got good wind protection and man i can i can lay the lumber on some 30 inch stripers and it's it's an addictive bite. Yeah, yeah dude, they're, they're like trout on on steroids. They the are. Eat a lot yeah. of times. So do you? I I didn't even really realize y'all had striper down there in any great numbers. Are they kind of just in one zone, or do you stumble into them in a lot of areas that you're trout fishing and red fishing? We got we got two big river systems. So I fish South Carolina and Georgia both heavily, and uh, the Savannah rivers are, is a good system for them, and so is the Ogeechee River. Gotcha. But some of the movement patterns with these striper, and we can talk about this on a on another yeah, podcast definitely. in great detail man uh, but a lot of these stripers they're moving up the savannah river way north up into augusta during the majority part of the year and then once it gets cold up there those striper push down south gotcha. and then the big ones start showing up and the big ones are showing up that's awesome that's fun <laughs> yeah it is yeah we'll definitely have you on for a striper fishery podcast. to hit big ones yeah definitely yeah. definitely it's cool too to have flounder trout redfish stripers you know that's kind of the same thing that we're seeing up in north carolina and they're you know, having those areas where you can catch all. Man, a lot of times where I am, <coughs> sometimes you'll stumble into largemouth bass mixed in with them too, which could be pretty yeah. fun. Yeah, I think Dave has a margarita slam. The margarita like slam. That. It's the, the yeah. largemouth. It's largemouth striper, trout, redfish water, right? Something like that, yeah. That's cool. Um, I, I was trying to come up with a name the other day if you were to catch, because we, we caught a striper, a redfish, a flounder, a trout, and... I was like, all right, if you caught a black drum and a sheep's head as well on the same day, wow, it, what what that would be? But I'm, I've never done it. I'm gonna have to try to do it one one day. But it's a lot of yeah. a lot of changing gears and changing what you're doing. A few of those fish you can catch, you know, all in the same spot, kind of doing the same thing, but but not the sheep's head or the black drum. So yeah. Um, well, cool. Well, tell people a little bit before we uh, wrap this up about your channel, what you do, kind of what you're passionate about, yeah. what your channel consists of, and, and how they can find you. Yeah, so I'm a big conservation-minded guy. I started YouTube about 16 to 18 months ago, something like that. I started fishing, getting extremely consistent. I noticed there wasn't a lot of uh, a lot of content in and around the area here, around the Savannah, Low Country area. And, you know, my wife kind of told me one day, she said, why don't you just take a GoPro out there and to the marsh and go fish? And that's what I did. And uh, the channel's growing very fast now, but the channel's called Low Country Fishing. And on that channel, you guys, I fish everywhere, near shore, inshore, offshore, coastal Georgia, the low country. <coughs> I plan on doing a lot of traveling this year. I've got friends up in the, uh, the kind of the New Jersey area, Rhode Island area that want to get me on some striper. I got some buddies over in Texas. Um, so I do plan on doing a lot of traveling this year. Um, I've got the uh, the Mako Pro Skiff is the boat that I've been doing a lot of the fishing with out of the channel. Uh, but now that I got the Sea Hunt, the Sea Hunt's really going to open everything up. So, if you guys are interested in a little bit of fishing, some education, along with uh, some good quality content mixed in, high editing. I do a lot of fun music with my stuff, some transitions. I try to make it as entertaining as possible. Yeah, for sure. So it's not just you know a camera right here and hey, this is me. Um, you guys definitely got to check out Low Country Fishing. It's it's taken off really really fast. I get a lot of good positive feedback from it. So you're interested heck yeah and and that's how i had seen some of your videos down there and then some listeners that asked from georgia for me to have you on and i checked out some more videos and just some really good content good fishing very instructional which i think you know there's great there's instructional stuff out there but i think that's what youtube lacks more than anything it's like um you know there's a lot of like hero fishing videos where you're catching a bunch of fish but but explaining 
how it's happening, why it's happening, where you're yeah. at, what you're doing. You do a great job of that. And I feel like that's Thanks, just man. really quality content for, for people to check out. So, um, I also have to say that your lighting is way better than my face looks like it's like puffy and swollen. <laughs> You've got like that ambient, beautiful light on your face, but for some reason tonight, mine is way too I bright. I moisturized this morning, bro. Did you moisturize? <laughs> I, did, I did not moisturize. <laughs> Uh, not at all, but, but yeah, so anything else that you want to touch or, or cover before we get off or anything you want to share with anybody? That's really it, man. I just cool. wanted to kind of talk about the release over 20 thing. Uh, we tagged the, uh, the channel. That's it, man. Sweet. Excited to get on here. Let's get together. Let's do this more. I know yeah. we, uh, kind of talked briefly about some striper stuff. Let's, let's crank some of that out. I've been getting pretty consistent with it lately. I'd love to start talking. Yeah, it. definitely. We'll, we'll do kind of a deep podcast. dive on that you know talk about all the tactics and tackle and, and all that and, and share that yeah. with everybody so thank you they're fun fish well guys thank you all for checking out another episode of eastern current uh we've we've slacked a little bit here lately not slacked but just lacked in our our podcast episodes i think we're two weeks behind but we've got a lot more afternoon and free time available so we'll be cranking out a lot of extra content coming up here soon i'm sitting on about six youtube videos i need to edit and get out so those will be coming out soon as well but dan thanks so much for coming on Guys, thanks, thanks for listening. Me. We will see y'all next week. Later.